0: There's never gonna be another mission like it. It was the first and last of its own kind. It's the most audacious mission. Who'd have thought that we'd actually be able to do that
1: in 1977? It's the final day of the uh, 2018 Capital Irish Film Festival, and I'm sitting here with Tony Cranston, who um, was the editor on the last two films of the evening. I love your story about the tiger in the garden. And as a point of reference, I was wondering if you could just sort of talk about how that wonder that you first picked up on way back then carries over into editing film like this.
0: Gosh, I never grow old of the fact that two images together make a thought. You know, an image kind of brings a thought and a second image brings another thought, but you put them together and you get a third thought. I never see images as being joined next to one another. I almost see them as being put on top of one another. There's a different way of looking at editing material. So the tiger in the garden story was an amazing eye-opener for me. I did think I was too young to realize what it was, but I kind of learned it as being editing. And yeah, the little boy that saw that is still kind of alive and kicking in everything that I do. And what's interesting with the farthest is that all the scientists are so enthusiastic and hopefully for your audience that have enjoyed the film you know the enthusiasm of the filmmakers is you know and i think there's enthusiasm in the edit that the edit is exciting and eager we can't wait to tell you something more about the story
1: so you know that's the connection i guess with those two things is there a difference between editing a comedy like uh, Day for Mad Mary and a documentary like Farthest? What's some of the basic differences and some of the similarities? The discipline for
0: documentary is very different for editing because with with a drama there is a script and there are actors and There are locations and everything that the huge team of people that are in production. You might have a a film crew that consists of 50 people making a film. Whereas with a documentary, our documentary uh, crew on The Farthest was five people. And they've gone and did all the shooting, all the interviewing and everything else. But when it all comes back in the cutting room, there's no script. You have all of this material to look through and you talk about the edit a lot more before you actually start to physically cut and um, you spend weeks watching rushes and talking it through and then where you start isn't necessarily at the beginning you have to have a jumping off point somewhere and with documentary there's a getting to know you period whereas with a drama I think that when the editor comes on board on a drama, you're a guest at somebody else's house. Whereas, you know, with a documentary, you're all kind of just, uh, you're in the room together and you're kind of going, all right, what are we doing? What are we going to make? And um, it grows, you know, the thing grows. So that's the biggest difference for me is there's a lot more in play when the editor begins on a, on a drama or a comedy
1: than there is with a documentary. I- have the sense that a lot of the great films get made on the edit table.:
0: Yeah, I mean editing is a, is a huge part of the process. and certainly with a documentary like The Farthest, there's no narration. so it's all spoken word. So you have to consider how you're going to link various parts of the story together, and your characters give you the narrative. and so cleverly you have to entwine those things together. And we were very, very lucky with The farthest that, you know, there was the, the golden record as well as the spacecraft. And so we had a kind of something to intercut with. And that was, uh, we grabbed that with
1: both hands. When you work on a documentary and you're not working from a script, but you quickly develop a cast of characters. And this film had a terrific cast of characters. Since it's not scripted, how do you keep certain characters from running away with the film? And did you have a favorite character here who was hard to keep off screen because everything he said was a gem? But you, you, know, you want to clearly make sure that you, know, you have a nice mix.
0: The first cut of the film, the first, we could call it an assembly, but it was more than an assembly. It was our first structural cut of the film was three and a half hours long. And so it's now a two-hour feature. So a lot of stuff had to bite the dust but when we were watching the rushes you would mark up the transcripts as you were watching the rushes with all of the good material that you wanted to use in in the story and then kind of break it down into various subjects so we would have a lot of the characters talking about launch and characters talking about jupiter's great red spark And so we could quite easily see by looking at those we might have 25 minutes of people talking about the great red spot and actually we know that we can make that sequence has got to be no more than three or four and so not that they're better but they're clearer with their points and so um, Yeah, some things just take priority over others. There wasn't a deliberate intention of balance. It was what they were saying was the most important thing. And all of the scientists and the engineers and the members of the Voyager team, they were just, we were blessed with great interviews and I think that there's a a lot of tribute for that needs to go to Ema and Claire when they went on their research trip and, and chose all the characters but also Ema's interview technique she was kind of very you know I think it may be an Irish kind of sensibility thing but the you know it was a small crew as I mentioned five people and when the, the scientists, a lot of them have been interviewed for television documentaries in the past, but it was very informal, it was like, you know, come and sit down and have a cup of tea and just relax. And the interview technique was very much a conversation. And even though Eman knew what she wanted to ask them, she didn't let her questions dictate where the conversation went she actually started the conversation and let the scientists and the engineers take the ball and run with it. And that was a wonderful thing, you know, and I think that's why the characters are so strong in the film. They don't feel restricted in any way. They were just allowed to just tell the story in their own voices.
1: Were you ever involved on the shoots? Did you ever go back to her and say, we really could use some of this because we're, you know, just describe that relationship in terms of the editor and the director working together.
0: Certainly the main bulk of shooting in America, I didn't come on the, the shoot with that. That was E. McClare and the production team. But when they came back to Dublin after the American shoot, there was still some more filming to do. Um, there was a couple of weeks in studio, so all of the kind of detailed material that you see there, the very designed material of the message in a bottle and close-up of computer screens and dials and things like that. They were all shot in a studio in Dublin and yes, I was involved in conversations with Ema and Kate, the director of photography and uh, Joe, the designer. So we all sat around the table at our house and drank tea and talked it through and Ema had lots of ideas of what she wanted and there's only so much you can do in two weeks so all the voices were very important in order to get the best of what we could from from that part of the shoot and then there was another day where they went to Budapest to shoot uh, the telescope sequence that's at the beginning of the film so there was some filming after the main interviews and they did do some location stuff in the States when they were here shooting
1: just a little bit about the music calling occupants of interplanetary space us and them just great punctuations in the film Were they always there? Did it come about?
0: No, they were never in the original proposal. All the music that's on the Golden Record was ours to put into the film as we wanted. The wishing on a star and calling occupants. Ema had spoken about some big tracks and there was room to have some big tracks in there, but we, um, yeah, it was just something that we tried out, you know, and I remember very clearly the wishing on a star conversation and that really opened something up for us because we were kind of working on the opening sequence and not at the beginning of the cut but some point later in the cut and all of that opening sequence of what uh, we call the eyes looking up shots in the beginning I constructed those in the way they are in the film now Ema shot those with a different use in mind she wanted to use those as kind of chapter breaks but i put this sequence together for her which she really loved and she said oh i was i was thinking about wanting a kick with the music and what would you say to um trying you know rose royce's wishing on a star and i just love that idea because it was music of the time that's actually 1977 that track and all the all the other pieces of music the big tracks that we use are all of that era and so they're music that we feel that voyager took from earth with it and went on its journey and apart from the very last track which is archer Pruitt. Which is a, a track from kind of the early 2000s. All of that music was 1970s music. The us and them. No, it was always going to be us and them. That was the the track that we that we loved. <laughs>